Well, this morning we're, uh, we're reading a story about the time that Jesus, it's a very famous story, about the time that Jesus led his disciples into a great storm there on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus took his disciples <clears throat> into a raging storm, and, and we find him there bobbing like a cork there on the Sea of Galilee, and we're just going to go with them as, as, we, as they go into this, uh, into this situation. And I don't know if, you, if any of you have ever been uh, in a boat during a storm, but I can tell you that it's absolutely terrifying. Uh, you know, my, my dad was an avid fisherman growing up, and, and he had a, a fishing boat, and he would go out, and he'd go fishing in a place called Horseshoe Kelp there off the coast of California, and, and he would go across uh, 22 miles offshore there in California to, the, to this little island called Catalina, just an avid fisherman. Our boat was called the Jambalaya, and uh, yeah, I don't know why, but that's what it was called. Uh, but here's the thing, I wasn't, and I got seasick, so I didn't go much with my dad out fishing. I mean, I like surfing, you know, and, but surfing is manageable, you know. You're close to the shore, and it's not too deep, and there's something about just going out into the, to the ocean that just kind of terrified me. But one day, I, I agreed to go. My dad said, look, I want to take you to Catalina. It's beautiful. Uh, you've got to see it. I've done it many, many times before. It's, it would only take about five hours. Let's go on a boat ride. And so we got into the boat, and we, and we, and we, and we uh, sailed out there uh, to Catalina. And when you're going to Catalina, there's a point where, you know, you're about two hours away from the California coast. And the California coast begins to disappear like you just can't see it anymore. And it's right before you can see the island of Catalina. So you can't see land this way. You can't see land that way. And you're just right there in the middle. And this is a very insecure place. It feels very unstable. Like, there you are in the middle of the ocean, no land in sight. I mean, it's kind of scary. And I was scared. And I was slightly seasick. But suddenly, if this wasn't bad enough, a, a big storm came up. I mean, it was rapid. It was quick. And before we knew it, the waves were just massive. And the little jambalaya was just bobbing up and down like a cork there in the, in the Pacific Ocean. The waves got bigger and bigger. The water started to splash over the bow of the boat. And I was in the back throwing up uh, uh, <laughs> into the water. And I remember, I still remember the feeling. I mean, it's, it's in my gut. I can still remember. It was absolute chaos. The waves were unmanageable. I felt completely out of control. And I was just, I was sick with fear. And I thought my dad, you know, my, my strong dad, he'd done this many, many times before. I thought he would give me courage, but I remember looking at him in the eye, and he looked just as terrified as I did. And I remember thinking, we're going to die. We're going to die. This is the one time I've, I've agreed to go and do this, and now we're going to die. We're all going to die. Terror, chaos, confusion, fear. Now, you may have not had this actual experience. I mean, here we are landlocked in Arkansas, and I, I would doubt that many of us have actually been in a storm like this, but I'm sure that many of us have felt like this in life, where it feels chaotic, and you feel absolutely out of control. Your circumstances are unmanageable. You know, usually you can, take the, you can handle things, and you can control things, and you can manage things, but there are times in life when things just fly out of control. And maybe it's just sort of a small storm, sort of under the surface. You know, you're living in quiet desperation in a bad marriage or dealing with depression. And, or maybe it's something really big. You know, some circumstances come into your life, maybe in the form of an illness, uh, 
or a, or a divorce or some other horrible thing, and you just feel like life is chaotic, and you don't know what to do. And so what do you do? You begin to panic, and you're terrified. It's chaos. Well, this is where we find the disciples in our story this morning. Jesus leads them into a storm, and, and they're in this place of absolute chaos. Uh, it's, it's beyond their control, and they can't manage it. And I think the story wants us to show us that, that really managing storms, being in storms, is part of following Jesus. Uh, the story opens up, and, and it says that on that day when evening had come, this is verse 35, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And then it says, leaving the crowd, he took, with, took him with them into the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And so you remember Lucas last week was talking about how J- Jesus was separating the crowd from the followers. And here Jesus separates the followers from the crowd, and where does he take them? He takes them straight into a storm. And it's almost as if to say, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. Following Jesus involves going straight into storms. It involves chaos. And it involves chaos because we live in a broken world and uh, there's sin and brokenness and so the world uh, is filled with suffering and and disease and other things like that. But following Jesus has its own risks and has its own unique sufferings. Uh, In fact, at one point, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, in this world, you will have tribulation, a promise of suffering, a a promise of chaos. Uh, Later on, uh, in 1 Peter, one of Jesus' disciples said, look, uh, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal, which is to try you. And so we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we will go through storms. It's part of the It's part of the process. It's part of what following Jesus involves. In fact, you know, in the early church, there were symbols of Christianity, symbols of the church. One of them is a fish. You all have seen the fish. Another symbol was a boat. And if you go into the catacombs, you know, those tunnels underground, you will see etched on the tunnels, you know, fish and a boat bobbing in the waves. And this is just a picture of what it's like to be a Christian. And so the question is, how do we handle these things? They're going to come. They're part of following Jesus. How do we handle them? Some of you may be in them this morning. You're dealing with it right now. How do you go through the storm with Christ? And so that's what we're going to look at today. I want to show you three things in the story. I want us to see, number one, the question in the storm. And then we'll see the lesson in the storm. And then finally, the Savior in the storm. So how do we go through them? We have to know three things. Number one, the question in the storm, the lesson in the storm, and then finally, the Savior in the storm. So first, let's look at the question. Uh, You know, we left off, verse 36, they all got into the boat, there were other boats with them. And then in verse 37, it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the stern was, was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? There's the question, and that's where we'll we'll stop. And so first, uh, what is the context that prompts the question? Well, they're in the Sea of Galilee, and there's this big storm, and this was very common. And so the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains, and particularly there was Mount Hermon, which was 9,200 feet above sea level, and it was about 30 miles away. 
And so you have this very deep, uh, you know, uh, uh, sea right next to this very high elevation. And the cold air would clash with the warm desert air, and there would be enormous storms there on the sea, big waves, cataclysmic storms. But this storm was a doozy. Uh, It was bigger than normal, because here are the disciples, these experienced uh, fishermen, and they're terrified. And in fact, fact, the passage calls this in the Greek a megastorm, right? So this is a very, very big storm, so that even these uh, experienced uh, uh, fishermen were terrified. Jesus, meanwhile, is asleep in the stern, and the disciples look at Jesus, they look at the storm, and they ask the question. Here it is. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? It's a good question. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And whenever I read this, it always reminds me of my son Luke. Uh, Luke, you know, I, 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 was, I was telling him a story the other night, and it was a story where somebody died. And he said, Daddy, did they perish? I didn't even know he knew that word. And I said, yes, uh, Luke, they did perish. And by the way, how did you know that word? And he said, well, I learned it in Sunday school. Uh, Pastor's kid, this is how they talk. (laughs) Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? In other words, Jesus, we're doomed. Jesus, we're dead. And you're asleep, don't you care? Isn't it a concern for you, Jesus, that we're perishing? Now, this is less like a question and more like an accusation. It's more like a rebuke. And what's interesting is none other of the gospel writers have this phrase in their account. All the other gospels have this story. None of the other ones have this accusation. They're almost, you know, embarrassed that the disciples would actually say this. But hey, Mark is an eyewitness account. And Peter is probably, you know, relaying the story to Mark and saying, look, I was there. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but we looked at Jesus and we said, don't you even care that we're dying? But I'm so glad the question's in there because I can relate to it, can't you? You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that's beyond your control, but I think all of us can relate to looking at God, looking at Jesus, and saying, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you understand what's going on here? This is chaotic. We're going to die. And they're calculating. They're saying, you know, we're going to die. We have the Messiah in the boat. The Messiah is going to die. Our families, you know, what's going to happen to our children? Jesus, don't you understand? Don't you care that we're dying? Now, this is a question that we have all the way through the Bible, actually. And if you read the Psalms, uh, you know, it's so fascinating that there, there are lament psalms, psalms where the psalmist is going through chaos, and over and over again, you hear the psalmist say, God, where are you? God, are you asleep? God, don't you care that we're dying? Won't you do something? I mean, this is something that the people of God have asked God for, for centuries. Uh, Derek Kidner, who's a uh, commentator on the Psalms, he was talking about one of these statements there. He said the very presence of such prayers, of such accusatory prayers to God, he says, is a witness to, to God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they're desperate. And God knows how we speak when we're desperate. 
And he's not ashamed to put this sort of thing in very scripture. And it, it helps us to identify with God's people to say, God knows what we're going through. And this sort of question is part of the Christian experience. God, where are you? And we've all been there, haven't we? It comes out of two concerns. And one of the concerns is that God doesn't know what he's doing. God, if I was in control, I wouldn't have let this happen. God, if I was behind the wheel of my life, this sort of thing wouldn't have happened. God, where is your wisdom? God, you don't know what you're doing. But it also comes out of a a sense of, does God love us? They said, Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you love us? Don't you see what's going on? Why aren't you acting? Why are you asleep? Are you going to let us die? Don't you love us? It's a question about his love and concern. So I want us to get in there with the boat, with the disciples here, and I want us to just sort of identify with their experience. I mean, have you been there? Have you asked the question? Have you even made the accusation? And it comes out of, God, are you in control? And God, do you love us? I want you to see here that Jesus doesn't answer the question. But he gets up and he does something. Let's look what he does. This is verse 39. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who is then, who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? So Jesus doesn't answer their question, but I want you to see that Jesus uses the storm as a lesson. Uh, We don't know why, you know, they're in the storm. We don't know why these sorts of things happen. But we do know that every single storm, every single chaotic circumstance is a teaching moment for disciples, for all of us. Jesus wants to teach us a lesson in the storm. And it's a lesson of faith. Notice when when Jesus uh, stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves, he looks at the disciples and what does he say? He answers their accusation with his own accusation. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? You see, the storm is an opportunity to learn a lesson of faith. Now, there are two ways to learn. And uh, one way to learn is through teaching. You know, so a teacher gets up like me, and you take notes, and, and you can learn that way. And Jesus did this a lot for his disciples. You know, he taught them in parables. And he taught them with authority in the temple. And he taught them on the Sermon on the Mount. And he taught them, and he taught them. And I can imagine the disciples taking notes. Oh, boy, we're learning. We're getting so much information. We understand so much. But that's not the only way of learning. The other way of learning is through experience. And there are some things you can only learn in the storm. And one of those things is faith. Faith is learned in the storm. You really can't learn to trust Jesus until things begin to fall apart and get chaotic. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, who's an old uh, reformer, he said that faith is confidence. And he described faith as getting into a boat. He said, you can look at the boat and say, I believe that boat is, uh, is a sturdy boat, and I believe it's 28 feet long, and I think it's uh, seaworthy, and so on and so forth. But you really don't trust the boat until you begin to rest your body on it, until you get in the boat. 
And he said, that's what faith looks like. Faith is getting into the boat. Faith is rest, resting all of your confidence on Jesus. It's sort of like a chair. If you look at a chair, you don't really know if the chair is sturdy or not, or not until you actually sit on it, until you begin to rest yourself on it. You know, you can say, oh, it looks strong, but until you really sit on it, you really don't know how strong it is. And you really don't learn to trust Jesus until you begin to rest on him. And you rest on him when the bottom of your life is pulled out and you have nothing else to lean on but him. And so as the, the boat is bobbing up and down like a cork and everything is nuts, this is an opportunity for them to learn to trust Jesus. Uh, I hate flying in airplanes. And uh, I've, I've, I think I flew once from the age uh, to I was born till the age of 30. You know, I lived in the same city for all of my life. I just never found the need to fly. And so I was terrified of it. I thought planes were unsafe, and so I never flew. And everybody would tell me, you know, Brent, uh, planes, are, planes are safe. And, uh, you know, they're safer than cars. Did you know that? But I was like, nope, not going to do it. Well, then I moved to Connecticut. And in order to see my family, I had to fly home. And so we would fly JetBlue from, uh, to, uh, JFK, uh, from JFK to Long Beach, back and forth. I probably flew that thing three times a year for three and a half years. And after about, you know, the 30th time flying, my heart could finally rest. You know, usually I was the guy when the plane was going down, I was like grabbing the little bag, you know, and holding onto the seat in front of me and, and, and saying, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. You've seen those people. I was one of those people. But now, I'm a, I'm a it's, it's old hat. And the plane lands, and I feel the turbulence, and those scary lights go on and off, you know, and the, the guy gets on the, the intercom and says, we're going, you know, it's going to be rough here. And I just relax. It's because I've, the plane is tried and tested. I know it's not going to go down. And now I look at the other people. And I see the lady freaking out across the way, and I think, oh, poor, poor thing. <laughs> you learn trust through experience. You learn that God is trustworthy the more and more times you go through the storm. And what's so interesting is the disciples, Jesus takes them out onto the Sea of Galilee numerous times throughout the Gospels. Four times, Jesus takes them across the sea. And two, two of those times, they encountered a huge storm. What was he doing? Jesus is teaching them faith because this is the only place you learn it. The only place to really learn trust is when, when the things fall apart and you find yourself in a storm. Well, someone might say, well, how do I know I'm learning? Because I've been through a lot of these things. How do I know that I'm actually learning to trust God? You, learned, you know you're really trusting when you see yourself resting. Notice there's two pictures here in the boat. There's Jesus asleep on a cushion in the stern. And then there's the, the disciples pulling their hair out. And Jesus is saying fear is the opposite of faith. And you know that you trust when you look a lot like Jesus in the storm. When you can sleep in the midst of chaos. When everything can fall apart and you don't have panic attacks. When you begin to look like Jesus in the storm, then you know you're learning to trust. Jesus gives us a vivid picture here. Sleeping, panic. 
And trust is moving from this side to that side. And this is what you learn in a storm. This is why he takes him out there. It's part of discipleship. It's part of being a follower. You really can't avoid it. Well, someone says, well, how do I move from this side to that side? How do I grow? How do I trust? How do I learn to rest? I want to sleep. I really want to do. I really want to do. I do. I want to do. I want to want. How do I sleep in the storm? Well, you need to know the object of your faith. You need to know something about Jesus. And the story tells us three things about Jesus that in closing here, I just want to point out. Why can we trust him? Number one, uh, we can trust Jesus in the storm because Jesus is with us in the storm. Listen, only Christianity tells you that Jesus Christ has been through the storms that we face. Christianity, God, God is not up there watching over the storm. He's not, it's not just that he's up there controlling the storm. In Jesus Christ, God himself has come into the chaos. Christianity is the only religion that says that God himself has been there. And he knows what it's like to be in the midst of the uncontrollable world that we live in. He's experienced it. God is really with you as, we go th- as you go through it. There's a quote by Dorothy Sayers. It's going to come up on the screen. And Dorothy Sayers was a, uh, uh, she was a British novelist. She uh, wrote detective novels, and she was also sort of an armchair theologian. And this quote, it's, I read it, it stuck with me, and I hang on to it when I'm suffering. And I want to give it to you. She says this. He, Jesus, has himself gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work, and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. This is your God. The book of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who's unfamiliar with our weaknesses, but in every point was tempted and tested like we are. Therefore, we can go to him to receive grace and help and comfort in times of need. He's in the boat. He's in the storm. He's with you. It's not just that he's up there. He's your high priest, and he's gone through the pain. He doesn't say, I'm on the shore watching you, or I'm on the other side watching you. I am there with you in the boat. And I may be asleep, and it may not seem like I'm there, but I'm there. He's with us. Second of all, I want us to see that Jesus has authority over the storm. He has power over the storm. Uh, notice uh, when the, the great storm comes up, Jesus comes, stands up, and he looks at the storm, and in the Greek, he literally says, shut up. Shut up, be quiet, and like a compliant child, the storm obeys. And, it, and the, remember I told you that it called the storm a megastorm? After Jesus told, tells it to shut up, it becomes a mega quiet. Picture a sea of glass. And Jesus wants us to know that he has power over our circumstances. He's Lord of the storm. 
and nothing happens outside of his perfect plan and will. And what that means is that your life is not at the mercy of chaos, but in the hands of your creator God. And what that means is that you can sleep because God is in control of your life. And you need to know that because many of us don't believe it. This is where the panic comes from. God, are you at the wheel? I don't, I, I'm not at the wheel. Who's in control of this thing? You ever been driving with somebody and you're like, what are you doing? Who's in control? And you're holding on to, I call it the Jesus handle, where you're holding on to that thing. Who's in control of this thing? Well, listen, there's somebody in control of your life. Jesus is Lord of the storm. He has power over everything. And you don't have to be afraid. He's with them in the storm. He has power over the storm. But finally, I want you to see that Jesus Christ was thrown into the storm. What's interesting is this story is a lot like the story of Jonah. In fact, a lot of people think that Mark stylized the account after the story of Jonah. Uh, in both stories, you have a megastorm, same Greek word. In both stories, you have a prophet in the boat. In both stories, the sailors come down and rebuke the prophet. And in both stories, the prophet is thrown overboard. No, actually, in this one, Jesus isn't. But Mark wants us to see that Jesus will be. Because just as Jonah was thrown over the boat in order for the sailors to live, Jesus Christ would go into the ultimate storm. He would be plunged under the waves of sin and guilt and death so that we could live. Ultimately, Jesus will calm all the storms in the world. He's going to make all things right, ultimately, and there'll be no more sin and no more sorrow, and there will be a sea of glass when he makes everything right. But the Gospels say in order for him to do that, he's got to go into the storm. And he's got to suffer on our behalf. And he's got to be plunged into the chaos. And listen, if he was plunged into the storm for you, the ultimate storm, then you know that he loves you no matter what other storm comes into your life. He loves you. He does care. Tim Keller says that, you know, faith is an interesting thing. The critical thing in faith is not so much the strength of your faith, but the strength of the object. He says, if you, if you, were, if you fell off a cliff and you're plunging down to the bottom, and you see a branch sticking out from the cliff, he says, how much faith does it take to grab onto the branch? He says, very little. You just grab onto that thing. The key factor is, can the branch hold you? The key in faith is the object. And who is the object of our faith? It is Jesus Christ. And he's with us, and he's in control, and he's suffered everything for us, and he loves us. And what this means is that we can rest. No matter what the chaos, we can rest in the hands of our loving, powerful Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness. Lord, you are the Lord of the storm. 
You are the author of our salvation. You are with us in the boat. And God, no matter what chaos we encounter in our lives, and I know that in this room there's a lot of chaos and probably a lot of anxiety and fear and panic, Lord, I pray that you would burn into our hearts that you are an anchor for our souls.